Welcome to this episode of the Katie and Me podcast. I'm Katie Rogers, and I am here with my partner, Chris Hutchinson. Hey, Chris, how are you today? Good, Katie. How are you? I am doing really well. I'm excited to be back at this. Episode uh, 14. I, I mean, know. We're, we're like kind of legit. I am, right? Right? <laughs> well, I'm all excited. I'm going to let you kick things off today. But first, I wanted to um, give a shout out to our show partner, Audible who's near and dear to my farming heart because I burn through one or two Audible books a week while I'm out in the field. Um, so Audible is a leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. They range from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Audible helps people get more stories and information through the gift of found time, which is a concept we should talk about sometime in this podcast. Yeah. Um, and we all have a lot of that right now. So you can use that newfound time to enjoy something new and get some cool content with your family or just relieve stress or learn something. So you God can get a free we learn something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can get a free trial of Audible, um, which is one free audiobook, by going to audibletrial.com and it's backslash Katie and Me podcast. So it's K A T Y A N D M E podcast. And uh, you can sign up there, you'll get a free audiobook, and then you can decide if you like it, you're going to like it. And then, <laughs> and then, um, will continue to proselytize this fabulous product. So awesome. Uh, yay. So well, Chris, yes, I'm you gonna are talk. gonna talk to us about the topic of this year. This is like the 2020 thing that we're all having to get used to. Everyone's like anticipating what it's gonna be. What could what's I, he possibly gonna talk what about? What is it gonna be? <laughs> I'm gonna talk yeah, about Zoom. Great. I'm gonna talk about Zoom. Yay. Um so uh, everyone's familiar with Zoom. You know, everyone's either hosting Zoom happy hours or Lord knows Zoom has taken over what is now normal business workplace. A lot of people are working from home. Even those that aren't working from home have to meet with people that are working from home. And so Zoom is, is near and dear to everybody's heart. But uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Zoom etiquette and Zoom fatigue. Now, to be clear, I do have probably a little bit of a conflict of interest. I did purchase some Zoom stock. And so I just want to be clear that I am a Zoom supporter and advocate. Uh, I, I'm not stupid. I'm, I see that they're benefiting from a pandemic. And although I try and stick to B Corps, you know, technology, sometimes you just have to, you have to go out on a limb. So uh, I do own some Zoom stock. I think like, you know, a third of a share, something like that. <laughs> um, but with my position, uh, a lot of what, I do in my real world job uh, requires me to drive all over the state of Indiana and meet with a lot of people uh, from a partnership development standpoint. And, and a lot of those meetings were face to face. Well, uh, obviously I'm not doing that now. We're not, the company or the organization I work for, we're recognizing social distancing. Um, our classes have been moved to an online capacity. Uh, we still haven't reopened our on-ground campuses yet. So I've been utilizing Zoom uh, pretty heavily since actually late February. And then we actually went into uh, work from home mode uh, fully, I think, March 1st or maybe maybe the first week of March. Again, I'm a big fan of the tool, but there is I'm, – I'm averaging probably – uh, I would say this last week, I, I probably was averaging between six and a half and seven hours of Zoom calls per day um, because any 
any communication or any operational thing that I need to do internally or uh, in trying to uncover partnerships or work with existing partners, you know, you, you can't necessarily just do a quick drive-by in the office and, hey, what do you think about this, you know, with your colleague? You, you have to schedule a call. And so that's, you know, we have our standing weekly calls that are mixed in there and what I'm learning is that the fatigue is real. Usually, and I've been, you know, business development where you have a lot of face-to-face meetings and, you know, those, those are fatiguing days as well. But mm-hmm. usually in between those meetings, there is you're either driving to another location or you have a little bit of downtime to, you know, try and decompress. Uh, I, I've really been trying to set my days up to have at least, you know, 15 to 30 minutes in between. But Sometimes it's just not possible. And this week particularly, I had, I think, three days last week where I had 45 to 60-minute meetings, like three in a row with no break. Oh. And, I, you know, you've, you've been around me, Katie. I am pretty good at scribing and taking notes while I'm engaged in those meetings. And so I'm able mm-hmm. to, to capture a lot of, of what needs to be captured. But it literally is just, I'm just throwing it on paper. And by the time I get in the next meeting, how I wrote it, it may, I may not recognize why I wrote it that way, you know, an hour or two later, if I don't immediately have a chance to kind of like embed it in my brain. And so that, that, uh, that fatigue is real. Now, I still really appreciate the ability to have face-to-face meetings via Zoom and have those conversations. I would much rather have all those meetings on Zoom because I can see, which we're doing right now, we're not in our studio, we're doing this podcast via Zoom, but I can see facial reactions and I can see mm-hmm. you know, if people are paying attention or not. Um, even on the larger calls, you can kind of still pick up on that. And so I like that better than just a straight phone call. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is you're, <laughs> you, you, need to be, you need to realize that you know, you're live and people can see you <laughs> as well. <laughs> So uh, this is a good little segue into some of the some of my do's and don'ts as it relates to Zoom. Oh, do um, tell. Yeah. So um, do include an agenda when you when you're doing a Zoom meeting. I think that's a, a good a good course of action, regardless. But um, do include an agenda so that it doesn't just feel like it's a you know mess around time. I was yeah. going to say grab ass, but I don't know if that's appropriate. But uh, <laughs> like you know, make make it. Uh, Make it so that there is an agenda so that people know that you are there to conduct business. Uh, mm-hmm. And it gives them an idea of particularly those that may have like two or three or four calls in a row. They can quickly see what the agenda is, get their mind clicked in on, oh, yeah, that's why I'm meeting with Katie today. We're talking about X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So do include an agenda. Do include the Zoom link and password. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been on, and I've been guilty of it too, uh, where I have set a Zoom meeting in haste in between other meetings and set it for like the following week. Hey, we're gonna have a follow up next week. Great. I'll send out the invite right now. And I'll send out the invite real quickly, get it on everybody's calendar and I'll forget to include the link. And then literally a minute before the meeting, I'm like, Oh crap, I didn't include the link. And so you're kind of running around trying to get them the link. You start mm-hmm. getting text messages. Hey, are we meeting today? And blah, blah, blah. And so it just like, it adds a little bit to the chaos. So make sure that you not only have the link, but also the password and those that are booking the meetings. Another hint I have is don't just have the link embedded in the, like the agenda component, but instead of like listing a physical location, on most like email invites, you can actually go in and link or list the Zoom link in that physical location line. It's just much easier for people to find it. So that would be um, 
<laughs> that, that would be two do's. Another is make sure you're staying on mute unless it's your time to talk. I've seen this more than, more than a couple of times. The best, the best fail of this was uh, the Mira Awards were, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and they hosted them virtually. If you're not familiar with the Mira Awards, they are uh, the technology awards uh, recognizing industries in and around Indianapolis and, and Indiana pretty big deal. It's usually a formal black tie event. They always do a job and did an amazing job this year. It's, it's put together by TechPoint of doing it virtually. But with virtual award shows, things are going to happen. So they asked the winners know in advance of who was winning. And there was one winner who didn't realize <laughs> that he wasn't on mute. And he was mm-hmm. talking about how he wanted to Oh, this is what I'm going to say. And then I want you to say this. So it makes it look like we're really surprised. And they were over talking the host for like a good three or four minutes. And oh so I, amongst others was frantically typing in the chat. You're not on mute your mic. We can hear you. And while he's still alive, he then said, Oh, Chris Hutchinson said he can hear me. So I'm going to stop talking. So I'm like, I don't care if you keep talking, but just turn your mic off. That was kind of funny. And then he came on and literally, surprised and shocked and everyone was kind of laughing but they're like no you weren't we just heard you talking about it a second ago so that's kind of funny um there's been things that are much worse than that but uh we're still trying to keep this pg-13 so i won't i called somebody out on a zoom meeting the other day you did i could not hear myself talking because somebody that was out on the grounds was doing their meeting with their cell phone and it wasn't muted and like i could see like all the stuff he was working on and i was like (laughs) I just, I was like, I'm sorry, guys, Bob, mute your phone. <laughs> yeah, it's super frustrating, right? I mean, we joke about it, but it is, it's super frustrating. Imagine being the, the speaker of an award show and someone is like talking over you while you're like trying to make a presentation. So um, yeah, make sure you mute your phones. I'm on, uh, I'm, I'm on a Zoom call every week that has at least 60 people in it. And Ooh. so it's like, Who's, you know, what's the over under? How many seconds until someone says, and a reminder, please put your phones on mute unless you're talking. I mean, we joke about it, but it's reality. And so mm-hmm. just be, be cognizant of that. Uh, a couple don'ts. <laughs> Don't be on your cell phone when you're on a Zoom call, like literally on your phone talking to somebody else. And if you are going to do that, you have the option to kind of black your screen out. So, I, you know, I'll sometimes I'll just put up a, a headshot of myself if I have to get up for any reason. Yeah, producer Pete just threw up a, a, a still shot. So do that so that someone literally doesn't see you on your phone paying no attention to what's going on. At least if we, you know, ignorance is bliss. If we don't know it, then great. We assume that you're listening. Um, here's another one. It's a big pet peeve of mine. Don't eat food with like a live mic or like while you're on screen. I, yeah. I mean, I don't mind if you eat. I, I don't. I mean, I don't care if I see it. I prefer not to, but definitely mute it. I can't tell you how disgusting it is to hear somebody like eating a bologna sandwich or like smacking their Oh, water. dude, that's what ASMR is. It's disgusting. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. It's like a presentation and someone's eating mac and cheese. It just, it's, it's gross. So, so, so don't do that. Don't do that. And then um, if you have long meetings, because there's some instances, and I've done a couple conferences now as well. Don't forget to build in breaks during those meetings. It's unrealistic to expect that someone can just sit in a meeting for two hours straight without like some bio breaks or, you know, going and getting a coffee refill. So just like you would at a conference where you build in those breaks, make sure you're doing that on your Zoom calls as well. Um, because you don't want people 
just mass exiting and, you know, because they have to go to the bathroom. I was going to say, did you just call going to the VC a bio break? I did. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm did. taking that, right? Bio break. That is, I'm sending that everywhere. That needs to go viral. We're going to hashtag it. I've heard it before, so I didn't invent it. I'll I be, I'll have be honest, not, but. and I'm spreading it. But you have to, though, because otherwise, you know, you're going to start seeing a lot of uncomfortable faces, and quite honestly, just naturally you need to like give your brain a break just like you would at any conference. So those are some of my do's and don'ts. A lot of them seem like they're common sense, but you'd be surprised that, at how many times these things rear their ugly heads. So just be considerate and, you know, think about it when the next time that you're on a, on a zoom call, because nobody wants to be that guy or gal that um, is kind of disrespectful. So. Yeah, no, those are really good tips. Sending out the agenda ahead of time and the link and password thing. So I'm on Zoom calls regularly, almost mm -hmm. daily, sometimes yeah. multiple times a day. I have never been the one to invite someone. Okay. So I didn't know that you had to do that intentionally. Yeah. So um, if you if you invite them through, it'll self-populate in the invite. But what I like to do is a lot of times, most of the meetings, particularly in Outlook, there's like a, where is this meeting line? And, you know, you'd put an address and so it would bring up MapQuests or Google Maps or whatever, MapQuest, good Lord. I don't even think that's a thing anymore. Google Maps or whatever. So you, you could like <laughs> physically drive to that location. So I actually put the, the Zoom link in that address line. So it's like right in the body of the email so that if you're running late, you don't have to like scroll into the main body to, to find the link to go live. So just a little helpful hint. That's all. That makes perfect sense. What I do on my email, like, cause I have all this stuff on my calendar, but um, I frequently go into my email and then type the words Zoom link and see what comes up to make sure I have <laughs> well, all my links ready when I need to jump on well, this particular I mean, computer. That's good yeah. too. Yeah, it's like it's... Everyone has their own systems. Everyone has their own <laughs> yeah. systems. So. Um, but with that, I uh, so I'm a little bit lighter hearted today in my topic, but still something that I think is pretty important. You know, one of the reasons why you're going to talk a little bit about economic evolution next is because <laughs> Zoom obviously has had a, a pretty, well, if you don't know, I own Zoom stock, as I mentioned, but they've had a pretty decent spin up yeah. in their stock price and everything uh, out of, out of, you know, what's happened with the pandemic. So um, why don't you talk a little bit about economic evolution and uh, I'll ask some questions as you proceed. Yeah, I would love to. And there's so many, anytime we talk about topics like economic and evolution both have just so many layers to them. So we got to decide what level we're looking at both of these terms to kind of, you know, cram this into a short period. Sure. But what I'd like to kind of focus on right now is very broadly, nationally, and economic evolution. And part of that, and I think this kind of ties into your Zoom meeting thing, right? Because we've talked in the past about how many people are now working from home, mm -hmm. right? And, and that is part. Right, exactly. And that's part of the changing marketplace that we find ourselves in, which is an aspect of all of this. And um, so I have always been really interested in different economic theories. And when you go through school, or at least when I went through school, what I had presented was a, a certain number of theories that were considered the main schools of thought that were used in the world. And they were, it was basically like, choose one of these that you're going to stand by. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's some sort of virtue in um, 
ideological purity and how tightly you adhere to one of these schools of thought. And I apologize for my cat in the background. There's literally nothing I can do about that. No, right I mean, <laughs> he's involved. He or she's involved in the conversation. So that's yeah, cool. We have a, li- a live studio audience member. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the, cat, the cat is very, very human in that he reacts when people talk. And so when and what, he yells it out of the background. What's, what's, what economic philosophy does... Does he get here too? Um, I don't know, but I'm confident it's it circulates around food. So, um, and perhaps the murder of rodents because he's a murder machine. But um, anyway, so so I I have found over the years, and I did adhere. You know, I went, oh, I have these opinions about Keynesian economics, and I like mm-hmm. the Chicago or the Austrian, you know, and and this kind of thing. And I felt very um, kind of arrogant just because I understood the basic models and right. And then you have to admit, like, well, there's no pure system, right? right? There's that's not a thing, and so you just kind of stake your flag and go, "Yay, capitalism!" Woohoo! And, mm-hmm. and then I started reading, kind of outside of those classic schools, I started reading different economists mm-hmm. and got really got really caught up in some questions, right? Yeah. So learning to ask questions and question why you believe things is one of the most valuable things a human being can do to grow, I think. So Mm -hmm. I started reading, I read uh, Kate Rayworth has a book called Donut Economics, which I might've brought up before because it was my first step outside of the classical schools way to look at economics. And from there I went to uh, Mariana Mazzucato and she's pretty famous right now. She Does has a she book. Follow that donut economic theory as well, or is her um, philosophy a little bit different? Kind of, kind of. And but the approach is to ask questions. And the idea behind all of it is some people are in this school of thought that there's a fixed existing model that we should adhere to. Mm-hmm. And other people say the best hasn't been discovered yet. We haven't peaked. We need to be fluid. We need to be adaptive. What's best for the current world? Right. right. What we right. know now, because economic models were developed, you know, pre-environmental awareness, say, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a very limited concept of justice. These models were developed in a time when it's mostly like landowning white males, for instance. Right. right. So, so we've evolved as, as a people group and we are evolving. And so can our economic theory and system also evolve and be improved and updated as it were. I like the idea of updating our systems. So there's a series of questions that I I keep asking as I read these things. And one is what does inclusivity look like? Mm -hmm. I have decided that economic inclusivity is an important uh, priority. And so I ask, what does that look like in our system? Can we get to, and this is a Kate Rayworth donut economics idea, can we get to a place that we are not growth dependent? right? Because current U.S. modeling requires growth. It's a constant upward trajectory with any leveling or pausing or anything being a disaster. Yeah. Right. And so can we do a justice-based system instead of kind of a oligarchy under the guise of a meritocracy, right? We've talked before, meritocracy is not real Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the sense Mm -hmm. that it's it's all-encompassing. Can we reach into a system that's not just tax-based 
and we've learned we can, we can create wealth in other ways. Right. And um, we've learned that we can even materialize money, print money without hyperinflation, which was the big argument when I was in college against printing money, right? Yeah. UBI is back on the table. It's been on the table many times in the last hundred years. It's back on the table. Increasing the public education system through higher education, what we would now call higher education is on right. the table again. Um, but we say, can we step away from a hyper-materialistic consumption-based culture? And what is that going to do to our entire marketplace and our economy mm -hmm. if we consume less, right? Um, all, all amazing, amazing ideas. And one, right. one thing that jumps into my head uh, immediately is, is a couple of things. So, you know, the whatever you want to call them, the, the current age range of, or, or of folks that are in the 20-somethings and, and mm -hmm. whatever you want to label those folks, they get a bad rap because of their selective consumption. Um, they get blamed for some restaurants closing because those restaurants haven't necessarily catered to, the, to that age range. I, I think that those, those folks, the, the millennials and maybe it's Gen now, Z, Gen Zers, Gen yeah. Zers, they're just selective in where they, where they spend their money. And mm -hmm. because of the fact that a lot of them are some instances choosing to live at home and some instances are living at home because they're unemployed, whatever those reasons are, they are very protective in how they spend their money. But the, I think the evolution of the gig economy as well has also played a major role in that. So you don't necessarily have to own a car anymore in order to get to your job. In some instances, your job can be done from home. Mm -hmm. um, and you're seeing this sometimes there's reasons why businesses have a hard time retaining Gen Zers or millennials, or again, whatever we're calling them, because it is at the first sign of this is not something that I want to stand behind. My time is too valuable. My, my time on this earth is, is only for so long. I'm not going to do what people ahead of me did and work at a place for five or 10 years because that's what they're supposed to do. I'm going to quit and I will figure out a way to make it work. And oh, a dude, lot of our parents' generation wanted you there your entire career. Right. You got to right. get your gold watch, you know, you got to get your retirement and all that stuff, your pension and, and, uh, and good and good models, right? I mean, but is a pension but model. It doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't work, but that, that gig mentality of, well, shoot, I will quit this job. Do you already have another job? No, but I'm going to stay at home. And um, my parents are going to let me live there and I'm going to start a business online and I'll probably be able to do it in about a week or two and I'll figure out a way to start generating some money or in the meantime, I'll start a GoFundMe page. Right. So, I mean, the, the, and I what don't know these people you're talking about, <laughs> but, but well, but we're not, we're not them. <laughs> I mean, right. unfortunately we're uh, you know, I'm a, I grew up with, with our parents. I'm a Gen yeah. so. but um, so and again, you know, we could debate on the viability of, of that, but the fact that 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 occurs and that happens—that's to your point that the school of thought of economics is liquid, it is fluid, and it is changing in a large part because you don't physically have to go to work somewhere anymore. I mean, the organization I work for, a lot of our employer partners—they don't care where you live; you can work from home, you can work from wherever. Mm -hmm. You can do you can do your work from home, and so there's all these now factors that you got to get a car so that you can get to work and pay for your house in the suburbs with the white picket fence and, and, and have the you know 1.5 or 
2.5 kids, whatever it is. Yesterday's that, dream. Yeah. yeah. That model doesn't work anymore. And we've adapted out of technology to find ways to remain viable, to generate income. And then you throw in the whole, and I, I'm gosh, I hijacked your topic, but then you throw in the whole, you know, Bitcoin and, you know, a digital currency concept, just still evolving. And some people don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole because it's new and foreign. And then there's other people like me, you know, like, well, I'll buy a few shares of it and see what happens. You know what I mean? So like all of this, all of these changing components, I think speak to your point of, wow, you can't just be rooted in one form of one economic belief. You have to open yourself, you know, to, to, to educating yourself. So I'll shut up for a second, but I just think what you're no, saying you're, is really spot you're good. On. I was just about to say that, that work is a component of this in that it's likely that we will, like many other Western cultures, be moving towards shorter work weeks, right? We well, tend with the meritocracy idea was this idea that your value was in how much of your life you sacrificed for work. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the person who puts in 60 hours is somehow better than the person who puts in 40. Mm -hmm. And that is changing. And that's a thing I have seen change with this Gen Z, right? And a little bit with the latter millennials was this idea that, well, my value is not entirely in how little life outside of my job I have. That was once a badge of honor. And now it's like, congratulations on throwing away your life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, and I appreciate that, but it was a hard thing. This has been a part of my personal evolution is to yeah. say, all right. Cause I am, I am like one of my worst traits is that I'm a workaholic. Mm-hmm. And so I, which you, I think can empathize with. Yeah, absolutely. I think we both work incredibly hard. I think that having run with moderate levels of success, you know, two of my own small businesses, mm-hmm. I found ways to, not work less necessarily, but try and work smarter. And, and, you know, it's a little bit harder to do that when you work for someone else or, you know, when you work for a different organization, ultimately your value is still going to be measured in outputs uh, as it relates to, you know, are you making that organization or company money or are you saving them money? And businesses, there are some that are evolving, but majority of businesses still aren't gauging on whether or not you, you're not going to get a raise based on the fact that while you had a really good year of self-care and self-development and you're a much happier, healthier, happier, healthy and happier person. Now we're going to give you a raise because of that. So, I mean, ultimately it's still, it's still output based, but um, you know, I, I do think that some of that, that has changed. And I can't remember the name of the, of the company, but the, the CEO and founder essentially took a pretty significant pay cut on his own so that everybody in his organization had at least a base salary of $70,000. And he did that so that people would have a little bit of a better work-life balance, that there was more uh, of a equal play for everyone from top to bottom in terms of you know their ability to pay for the things they need, like rent and food and things along those lines. So um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, organizations are, that would never, like traditional economists would have been like, you're crazy. You know, that's, that's never going to yeah. work. Well, they also were in a world where they thought if you worked hard enough, you would, you could make it. If you were a GI coming home from World War II, you could afford one of the houses that, right. you know, I mean, there, there were scenario. well, if you were white, but there were, there yeah. were scenarios, you know, where, where you could still get by without having to be highly skilled and get lucky, right. you know, and right. we've, we've um, grown out of that. Mm-hmm. And now we see the wealth gap 
growing, the income cap gap growing, mm-hmm. the system collapsing. And I, you know, one of the things that um, Rayworth says is that in, in her donut economics, the very, the, our bottom level and, and her, for hers, it's the inner circle of this continuum is, is a social foundation, right? We mm-hmm. have to have a core that provides inclusion and basic things. And the outer, the ceiling of it all are ecological limits, Right. And somewhere in between is where we're striving for our economics. But that's that's all I've got today. I just you know encourage people to question the system. We don't talk a lot about it on this, but we also uh, we have a Patreon channel as well, and uh, that's also Katie and me podcast on Patreon. Uh, obviously, that's premium content, but um, we're going to talk more about economic inclusivity on uh, an upcoming episode seven on our Patreon side. So for those of you that are listening here, we appreciate it. But if you would like to get a little bit more in-depth and a little bit more um, gloves off conversation, please check us out on Patreon. Again, that's Katie and me podcast on Patreon. Anything else? Any other final thoughts, Katie? No, that was fun, Chris. Yeah, I enjoyed that and uh, look forward to talking again soon.